Hi friends, welcome to the Trauma Tapes. I'm Dr. MC McDonald. I am a PhD trauma researcher and a life coach, and it's my goal in life to change the way that we define and understand and treat trauma. Here's why. Trauma is not actually a sign of weakness or disorder. It's a biological response born of strength. Without it, we would not survive. So I think the first step towards healing is being able to see this so that we can stop shaming ourselves for being human. I'm here with my sister, Elizabeth Meadows. Each week we read your letters and give you information and advice about how to understand and demystify your experiences and symptoms so that you can heal. We bring together my research with our lived experiences so that we can all better understand and cope with trauma. So pull up a chair, grab a coffee and join us. Okay, welcome to track 11. That feels like a lucky number. I don't know why. It does. It feels like a great number. I like it. We're, yeah. we're over the 10 hump. Yep. <laughs> Hopefully there'll be like 1100 and we'll be like, oh my God, remember when we thought the 10 was a big deal? I know. I know. And it's not a big, I mean, it doesn't feel like it's been like a lot. It just, I don't know. Well, I think we, when, we, I, yeah, when we started, yeah. we were like 10 seemed like this because you hadn't done it once. So it seems like this big giant thing, you know? Right. And we kept just saying like, let's just do 10. We'll do 10 right. and we'll reevaluate. <laughs> <laughs> so we did this to ourselves. Yep. <laughs> That's proof that like what you, what you think about those structures that you set up for yourself, like those become limiting. You know what I mean? Oh, exactly. We made that That's up. A, yeah, we did. Okay. Do you want to jump in? Sure. Okay. Okay, so the letter this week is from Feeling Guilty, and Feeling Guilty starts, uh, MC and Elizabeth. One of my best friends is currently in prison for sexually assaulting a child. We are no longer friends because of this, but we were best friends for our entire lives before his arrest. I am two months older than him, and that is the only time in my life we were not friends. I quite literally cannot remember life without him, so I am grieving the loss of this friend and a loss of trust in myself. I was sexually assaulted as a child. And this friend is one of a handful of people who knew about it. Growing up, I was occasionally in a situation where I had to be around my assaulter again. This friend was always there as well. And he made sure that there was never an opportunity for me to be alone with my assaulter. He was also my biggest supporter in pursuing a career as a child sex crimes investigator. To say I was blindsided by his arrest is an understatement. He and I volunteered together with children a lot when we were in high school which is when he began abusing kids. He was not arrested until several years later when I was in college and living in a different state. When I found out, I was devastated and I felt responsible because I had been around him with kids so often. I spent the better part of the next year obsessing over every moment I spent around him and kids, just trying to figure out what I could have missed. After a while, I could really only come up with one moment that was even a little bit off. He and I took some kids we were babysitting to the pool. My friend usually babysat them by himself, but I would help occasionally. I took a girl to the locker rooms to change, and she seemed surprised and excited that I was going to let her go into the changing room by herself. I didn't think anything of it at the time, but looking back, I realized it was odd that she was not used to going into a changing room by herself because she was old enough to have been dressing herself without much help for at least two years. I wish I had thought more of it at the time and asked her who was going into dressing room with her. Maybe he would have been caught much sooner if I had. That being said, I also recognize it may not have changed anything. I was 16 at the time, and despite my own experience, I did not know the flags that I know now. Even knowing the flags now, I never saw my friend exhibit any of the obvious ones. He was good with kids, always volunteered with organizations that helped children, and wanted to pursue a career working with children. While all these are flags, they are also considered positive qualities about a person until there is an allegation. Those are the only flags I ever saw, and I thought they were positive. I know from an intellectual standpoint that it is not my fault. If a friend or even a stranger came to me with the same set of facts, I would not think that they were responsible in any way for the assaults, but I still cannot shake the feeling of guilt in myself for this. It doesn't help that there are people in the community that blame me. The friend and I grew up going to the same church, and when I go back now, several people pretend that they do not know me, and I have overheard people comment that I had to have known what he was doing because I was his best friend. I also received harassing phone calls about it for a while. The calls have stopped, but he is likely to be released from prison later this year, 
and I'm worried they will start again when people see him out in public. I would have reported him had I suspected anything, and he knew it, so I think he was extra careful around me. I really don't know what I could have done. As I've reflected on this situation, there are several negative self-beliefs that I've developed, but the guilt is the most damaging for me currently. I've experienced a similar feeling of guilt in the past as it related to a friend's suicide. I was thinking about how I was able to overcome that belief, and I traced it back to a conversation I had with one of my professors about that trauma. She is someone I would feel comfortable talking to about the current situation, but unfortunately, she lost a battle with cancer a few years ago. The people I am close to have their own relationships to my friend, and it makes talking to them about this very complicated. I don't feel like I have a safe place to really talk about this, which makes all of it even harder. How can I get to a place where I don't just know from a thought level that I am not at fault for this, but actually feel and believe it from feeling guilty? Wow. Yeah. Thank you for writing in feeling guilty. I'm glad that you did. I'm so like, I want to know what the professor said. I mean, me too. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Which Could you write us back and tell us? <laughs> right. <laughs> Which what you know, what was helpful about that? Try to try to revisit that in as much if you haven't already, try to revisit that in as much detail as possible and um and recreate that and imagine maybe what she would say to you. Who's she or anything? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna write all I'm gonna say all the things I just wrote down and then we can talk about all of them. Um I just wrote um enormous loss, both and energetically entangled. It could not have been otherwise. The terrible chaos of something happening right under your nose. Rumination as an organizing force and self-forgiveness. That's a lot. (laughs) It is a lot. This is such a dark subject Yeah, that I feel like I'm learning more and more about recently. Yeah. And how it's an absolute epidemic which which like uh, sexual assault or sexual assault sexual assault with little boys you know i think is is i'm for some reason that's i'm learning more about that now than i ever knew and it's astounding yeah you know i i just heard a statistic on, on another podcast i believe that one in three girls will be sexually assaulted by the time they're 18 Yep. And the current numbers for boys are one in six, but they believe that's underreported. underreported yeah. I, I, that is staggering to me mm-hmm. and so, so sad. Mm-hmm. And I think like, you know, connecting to the the people in your church community who are being judgmental to you about that, I feel a lot of anger toward them. <laughs> Because I think that what they're doing is, um, you know, it is a very dark thing. And instead of turning to that with some kind of gentleness, they are throwing judgment your way because of the way they feel about the fact that that exists in the world. You know, this is not about you and it's not about him and it's not about that isolated thing. It's about the realization that this is a part of of our world. Yeah. Yeah. And they're trying to kind of project what they think they would do in the same situation. Yeah. In in a very judgmental way. Yeah. I'm thinking of um Job because um his friends uh turned their backs, you know, in 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 order. They all, you know, all of his friends kind of turned their backs on him. And um it was there's a lot written about that um by theologians and things, but the a common theme is that they they didn't want their hands dirty. They didn't want they didn't want to support because it was too, it felt too dangerous and dark, too sticky to yeah. don't want to turn to that stuff. So we turn away, you know? Yeah. Um, which is, I think it's the same thing that makes us doubt the victim and, and side with the perpetrator because it's not because we're terrible people that questioning comes in our heads inherently because we don't want to believe that this is the world we live in. Right. And that this is a thing that happens and not, not only that it happens, but that it's not even rare. Yeah. It's absolutely mind blowing. Yeah. We all do that. You know, I, I mean, oh. I, I find when I hear that someone has died, I, I always, my first question is always, how do they die? Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't matter, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but I want to put it somewhere. Right. Totally. I, I want to file that into a place where it doesn't scare me as much as it you does. Want to, you want to file it into that can't happen to me. Exactly. Or that ha- can't happen to someone that I love. Right. Totally. Which is a completely not like that's a, 
I think again, like if we turn to that instead of turning away from it, then we see that there's like something very authentic about that. Right. And true. And like this stuff is terrifying. Life is terrifying. Right. But people, and we've talked about this with other letters, people that's feels very dismissive to the person going through it. Totally. Totally. And, and I, yeah, I just feel, I don't know why that strikes me. There's a lot in this letter that's striking and that, that strikes me a lot is that, you know, you think a a goddamn church community. Exactly. (laughs) Of all places, you know, it's not like the corner gas station or the, yeah, exactly. Right. It should stand for something different. It should feel different. Totally. Um, Okay. Let's start with the loss of this, right? Like this is, there's layers of loss here. There's layers of loss. Cause it's, you're losing the person you're, you lost your friend. You lost mm-hmm. that person in your life. You lost your version of him that was untainted by this knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you lose in a way, which is, I think this is really distinct about this situation. You lose your past with the him because the past is now like colored by this experience. And so even that isn't like sacred anymore. Right. You question mm-hmm. what was real and what wasn't real. Yeah. Who is this person that I thought was right. so close to me who didn't share this with me, who was potentially using these opportunities that we were sharing as, you know, a, a chance to um, perpetrate a crime. Like, right. And who also was supportive in, of me right. in my own Right. journey, um, to make meaning of what right. happened to, to him. Right. 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 And I, and that like brings me to the next thing I wrote, which is the both. And like, we want desperately to organize people into good and bad, and there are no such distinctions. Right. And so it is possible, although it's very hard to hold these two things to be true at the same time, it is possible that your friend was tortured by this compulsion in himself and was helping you as a way to help himself and was deeply authentic in his respect and guidance when it came to your sexual assault in a way that he couldn't be in another area of his life. You know what I mean? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So like if, if you feel that that support was authentic, maybe don't let go of it or try to banish it to a part of your soul where you don't look at it anymore because it's possible that it was, you know? Right. It's possible that he wasn't laughing up his sleeve at the same time. hundred percent. That he was trying really hard. Right. To wrestle with his own demons. Yeah. Oh. Which, and I, you know, I, I, that may seem too, too forgiving. It is a very big deal to uh, sexually assault anybody, let alone a child, let alone many children, right? Like mm-hmm. that is not, I'm not trying to let him off the hook. Um, but I do know that the research has shown that this, this, you know, often is a compulsion that comes out of someone else's abuse of them and that it is something that we are not allowed to talk about, right? Like you can't walk into a therapist's office and say, I mean, you actually, you can, but we think you can't walk into a therapist's office and say, I have this terrible desire and I don't know what to do about it because we think there's so much stigma and taboo around that, that we think that we're going to be you know, like thrown into jail immediately. Right. And the, what's, what's true is that the therapist will decide whether you have, you know, that's their call to decide whether you've done anything or if you've acted on this or, you know, and then help you parse that out. But because again, because we don't bring it into the light, it doesn't get solved. And then it comes out in this behavior. Right. Which again, is not letting him off the hook. It's a terrible thing, but I think, um, it's, it's a terrible thing because we don't, it's made more terrible by the fact that we won't, we refuse to look at it. You know what I mean? Right. It's, it's scary. It's terrifying. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a terrifying um, subject. Yeah, totally. And I think um, part of maybe why you're resisting or the, why there's some stickiness in your process here is that you're trying to put this person who, you know, deeply into the evil box and they don't actually belong there because nobody does. Right. And, um, and so maybe that's why, you know, you're getting stuck. So learning how to kind of hold those to be true at the same time might be helpful, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Being open to that, the both and. Right. Right. Yeah. And again, like we don't know much detail about this person or what, you know, what else. And so that's, um, 
that brings me to the third thing, which is that I think when we talk about, when we shout at people that it's not their fault, which of course, I mean, the letter writer, you are not responsible. You could not have known, even if you had had a suspicion or some little shred of knowledge, you, this is still not your path. You could not intervene. You could not have stopped this. This is his path and he has to do that on his own, you know? Right. Um, but I think when we kind of shout at people that they're not responsible and then we leave the conversation, we're, it's not enough because you are and were energetically entangled in this with this person. And that is something that like, if you just say you're not responsible and then you leave it, it's like, well, then what do I do with this fact that we were, we were in these spaces together. You were volunteering with children together. You were there when this stuff was happening potentially. Right. Yeah. So, or at the very least while he was like grappling with it. And so you are energetically entangled, which is not the same as like responsible or to blame, you know? Okay. But I think like, that's its own terrible thing that you, you were involved in this in some way. On a energetic level. on a, 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 yeah. yeah. In a way that you cannot simply remove yourself from. Right. And I'm not sure to, I mean, to be honest, I'm not sure what to do with that beyond saying that, like, right. That there's, that there's something terrible about realizing that you, you were at the scene of the crime, you know? Yeah. You were present. Right. But you did not, have all the knowledge that you have now. No. And hindsight is so cruel that way. Cause we look back and we say like, Oh my God, there was this red flag and that red flag. And I had this weird feeling in my stomach that time. Those are all there. Right. But you're like approaching something terrible, you know, again, energetically. And so you probably fear some, like feel some disturbance in the force or whatever, but like that's still, that does not add up to knowledge. Right. You know? And I think that the, when we overlook red flags, it's often because we want to give someone the benefit of the doubt. And that's a beautiful quality that we don't want to let go of. It's not that you were turning a blind eye to this. And I think in cases I was just uh, thinking about, um, you know, the, the sex scandal in the Catholic church, like I think about that every so often and think about, you know, what, what made it possible for people to know and then, and not do anything, you know, like how, how is that? That's a, that's a, that's a baffling question to me, but then those people to know, right. In the church to know, right. And not only not do anything to hide it, actively help the people actively Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I can't get started on that. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's, it's horrifying. Then, it's horrifying. But then I'm like, okay, but, but what, like, what makes that possible? Like really as a live question, like what, what is it that makes that possible? And I think that like, there's this um, French philosopher, Levinas, who talks about like the face of the other mm-hmm. and how the face of the other, when someone is sitting in front of you, there is this infinite responsibility that you feel right? And it's problematic. The infinite responsibility gets us in all sorts of trouble and, you know, all this other stuff. But when I, I just imagine like you're, you're sitting there and someone who, you know, who, who is trying really hard to be like a, you know, servant of God is sitting in front of you, tortured by this thing and begging for a second chance. Right. Like, right. And that's a, that's a situation where someone has full knowledge and it's a terrible systematic problem. Right. And, and I, I feel like a little bit of not forgiveness, but like a softening towards that person who has to deal with that person in front of them. You want to give them the benefit of the doubt you want to give them. So, I mean, the, the, all of this is to say, even if you had known in full detail, what was going on, this is someone you love who you grew up with, who helped you through hard times who like, of course you would want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Of course you would want to believe that they weren't capable of such a monstrous thing. Right. Because if you walk around and and that's, yeah, especially because it happened to you. Right. And, and you, that's your lens through which you look at the world and everyone right. else, right. that would be really tragic mm-hmm. if everyone else was a perceived threat. Right. You know? And this is, this person victimized innocent children. So, I mean, there is no, we're not trying to wash that away no, or no, 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 no. dilute that at all. But I was also thinking maybe our letter writer provided a counterpoint for these children. Mm-hmm. Maybe when something bad was happening with his friend, mm-hmm. 
they were able to look at him Mm -hmm. and see good. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Because she did, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, totally. You know? Yeah. Which is actually, there's a thing, um, this comes up in abusive relationships too, but also in, in situations of sexual assault where the, the person who has been assaulted will go back, right? If it's a friend, you know, typically the statistics are that it's someone that you know. So it's a friend or a family member or someone you're dating or something like that. You will go back and you, and sexual assault survivors beat themselves up terribly later for that. Because they're like, I went back the next day. We kept dating for two months. I stayed friends with them. I let him date my best friend. Like all of these things. Mm-hmm. How could I do that terrible thing? And it's because they are the real, the terrible reality of what happened is so great that the brain can't comprehend it. And so it attempts to like paste over it with the good. And that's right. a positive coping tool. Cause you're like, no, 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 this is not, there aren't monsters, right? It, this is just a person who did something and you try to rationalize it and reconcile it right away. And part of that is by staying friends with that person or staying in their life or letting yourself be victimized again by that person because their terrible reality is too big, you know? Right. Right. And so I think you're right. Like it could be that the, you know, the people, yeah, I don't know that they saw that he wasn't all bad because you saw that he wasn't all bad and that that actually helps them in their healing, you know? Right. Or, or also that they saw the letter writer as good. Yes. Right. And so they're, they're not all adults are scary or yeah. Right. Yeah. Which might've been very confusing and, uh, you know, I, I don't know. We need to understand that sometimes, I mean, we, we paint with too broad of a brush and traumatic experiences can be. I don't know. I'm being too careful with my words. <laughs> don't be careful. I'm not trying to say that it's a good thing to be traumatized or to be assaulted, but the, it is a it is a triumph of the human brain and of hope that we take these things in stride, integrate them into our lives, mm-hmm. and we live beautifully among them anyway. You know, right? Right. CD does not approve of this. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think that like. We get stuck in imagining the terribleness of, of the trauma and the darkness, which is there and it is real. And I'm not trying to say that, that it's a good thing, but there's beauty even in that. And people who've had traumatic experiences get that vivid experience in a different way than people who have not. Right. And it's not to say that it's not terrible, but terrible things are also full of awe. Right. We are bruised, not broken. Right. And that's, um, it's hard. No, you're good. It is hard. It, it, it's, um, it's hard to shine the light on this. Yeah. But it's there. The light, we don't, the, the light is there. Right. And I think like it's, we banish victims into, into a box too, when we think that the trauma is the only thing that that's important to, in their lives or the only thing that's happened to them or the darkness is all there is for them. And oh, how sad mm-hmm. that's demeaning in a way, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. The terrible chaos of something happening under your nose is a whole other layer of this. Right. And I think that like, this is a thread that I see all the time and people who, I mean, this happens all the time, right? We're going about our daily lives and we're living as if, you know, we can assume things about the world and we find out at some point that we can't, and it's humiliating and terrible. And it's, it just reveals that there's chaos sometimes, even though we can't see it. Right. And that's its own thing to grieve and realize um it's a terrible thing yeah and also it it makes me think of um anyone who spent any time with an addict in their lives mm-hmm. like that th- that's what these people do mm-hmm. they are very skilled at operating under your nose yeah that's what not, their addiction does that that you're right you're right that's what their addiction does that's what they're sickness does. That's what they're, they have honed that skill Mm -hmm. and are, can be very masterful Mm -hmm. at not letting on to, to what's really happening. So yeah, to beat yourself up for not knowing is um, you can't. No, it doesn't make any sense. Right. It's like saying that, like, you know, I should have known that the roots underneath my house were growing into the pipes. I should have known. Right. Well, the roots are under your house and they're designed that way. Right. And so you can't see them. And should you have looked deeper? I don't know, maybe, but you know, what a silly question in a way. Yeah. 
It doesn't change the outcome. Right. Yeah. Any compulsion is designed to hide this. Again, we don't know enough about this person or what was done. So it's hard to say, but I'm just kind of making assumptions that, that there's some pathology here and that the pathology is compulsive and that the compulsion is um, it's designed to keep you out. That's how it thrives. Exactly. And so you, you, it was designed to trick you. And so you were tricked and that's, that's not your fault. That's not something you can undo or change. It is a scary thing about the world. And I think that's where the next thing I wrote was that rumination is an organizing force, right? You're, I think part of why you're ruminating on this and getting stuck here is because it's helping you or your brain is tricking you into thinking that it's helping you organize this. Mm-hmm. and say like, okay, let me just sit here in my bed and go through every single encounter that we had. Oh my God, there was that girl. And that girl said that thing about how she was allowed to, to, you know, change by herself. It could have been the case that her mother was overbearing and that she's never let alone in the changing room. And it had nothing to do with this guy. Right. And your brain is drawing these connections because you want things to have been otherwise. And you, you think you were able, you might've been able to control it. Right. Exactly. And you can't, and that's far more terrifying to admit. And so your brain is going back to this ruminating space to try to organize all of this stuff for you. Right. And it's like, I think the way to kind of deal with that rumination is to turn to it and, and, and ask it seriously, like, is this actually useful? Right. Is this useful to go back into everything and pull everything apart and try to, to decide and decipher like, okay, well, this thing that now I know was a red flag, how, how vividly did it show itself in that moment? And how, how, how does it serve you to, to figure out the ways in which you failed here? It's not right. your fault, you know? Right. And right. And no one would want you to do that. You know, mm-hmm. no one would put that on you. No. And I, and I think the people who are the people in that community are, are just doing so out of ignorance and a, and a desire to not see what's there. Right you know, like the, the, you should have known. I mean, no, actually they're just wrong. Right. And they don't want to admit that because they want to believe that in every case where this happens, there is a, there is somebody who knows and, and failed. And so there's layers of blame that you can assign to the terrible thing. Right. When the truth is that sometimes that's just not true. And, you know, they were all in the same church together. So, you right. know, they want to blame you so they don't have to take any responsibility themselves. Exactly. They're, they're washing their hands of it. Right. Um, which like, you know, they could support you. That might be helpful. Right. That's, you know, when these things happen, we've talked a lot about moral injury and I just want to like, you know, um, tip my hat to it again, because it's such a vivid thing. And we, I don't think we talk about it enough when we talk about trauma, when things like this happen, they shatter our sense of right and wrong. And that is deeply um, disorienting experience. And so we scramble to try to get it back. Hold on. I had that. I had this idea that some things were right and some things were wrong. And this is how this made sense. And um, it's, you feel like you're in free fall when you lose those organizing structures in your world. And I think that this is definitely a case of that. So what you're kind of ascribing to guilt could also just be moral injury that you don't know how to, it's not actually that you're that the thing that you're feeling or that the only thing that you're feeling is guilt, but that you're just, you know, feeling that, that free fall of like, I don't know how to make sense of, of what is right and what is wrong. That's a great point. It's a yeah. whole, it's, it's, that's a whole other layer of it, you know? Right. Right. And yeah, I think that one of the keys there just to give you kind of a tool is this, um, this idea of radical acceptance, which we've talked about before as well, where, Um, instead of searching when your brain starts ruminating and you start thinking like, okay, but then there's this, and then there's that. And these memories start popping up, Um, you know, think of something that you can say to those thoughts, right? It, it's, it's, um, it is, it simply is this happened. There is no sense in, because the opposite of radical acceptance is when you're wishing that the past could be otherwise, and it simply can't. It's, it's just, it is, there's nothing that can be done about it. And so, um, you can practice that when, when we're starting out with radical acceptance, you can practice that in tiny little ways, um, and then move into harder ways. So a tiny little way could be to try to get some thoughts 
that tend to be um, charged into a neutral category. So um, if you find yourself really irritated when it's raining, could you try to move that idea of irritation into acceptance, right? Oh my God, it's raining. I can't hold my umbrella to, okay, it's raining. When we do that, when we, there's a whole somatic difference, but there's also this opening right? Where there's now all these possibilities where there, there were no possibilities before. So it's raining. I'm irritated. There's no room in that response. Mm -hmm. It's raining. Okay. How are you going to make your day? How are you going to adapt around that? Right. It's a very hard thing to, to, to take this thought. My, you know, my friend assaulted children into a neutral category, but I think if you can begin to, then you'll start to see some space there. Right. Right. Um, and by the way, acceptance does not mean like, it's more like acknowledgement. I think it should be called radical acknowledgement and not acceptance because acceptance is a loaded word. And we think it means we're signing on to it and saying like, okay, well, that's okay. It's okay that that happened. It's not right. a big deal. That's not what I mean. It's a very big deal. Yeah. And it's in the past. Right. One of the reasons that traumatic events get so stuck is because they trick our brain into thinking that they are present all the time and that we are presently in danger all the time. And that's why they torture us so much. But that's just the trick. That's the lie. Um, It's, it's in the past. This is someone who's been, um, who's been taken out of any possibility, hopefully to hurt someone in that way again. Right. Right. Um, there's a, I'm, I'm going to look it up. Well, that's okay. there's a Steve jobs quote about, um, looking backwards and how it, how you can't, con- you can never connect the dots looking backwards. Yeah. Uh, sorry. No, that's okay. I think it's just occurring to me now that I think that guilt is such a muddy emotion. And I, I wonder if the, the thing to be sorted here isn't actually like the past and what happened and what you could have done, but actually what you're feeling in all of its like color. So separate out the colors from the mud. You're probably, I would imagine you have every right to feel grief and devastation and rage and betrayal and sadness and all of the things, you know, um, Mm -hmm. but guilt is not useful here. No, no. And you were already on the path mm-hmm. of making meaning of what happened to you mm-hmm. at that, even at that age, you were on that path. Mm-hmm. So you, you've already gotten yourself to that place. Yeah. And you did it at a very young age. Yeah. You know, totally. So the, so the guilt doesn't, it wouldn't change yeah. the mission that you're, that you're on. Yeah. The, um, did you find the quote? Yeah. Now it doesn't make sense. Oh, okay. We'll move on. <laughs> But, um, the last thing that comes up is this idea of forgiveness, which I think is like, God, we could talk about that for like 19 hours straight. Um, yeah. it's very complicated, but I love this. Um, I, cause I think we, we mean different things by it. And like, it gets like, again, it gets thrown into this idea that we have to then, if we're forgiving someone, we're signing on to the behavior and saying that it's okay. And I don't think that that's actually what forgiveness is. And Lamont said, forgiveness is giving up all hope of having had a better past. It's accepting. It's a, it's the radical acceptance of like, it's, it is what it is. It is done. Right. And you can let it go now. You can stop ruminating. You can stop, give yourself permission to stop trying to figure out where, at what point you missed it because it, it already is done, you know? Right. And you can't, you can't go back to your 16 year old self. Yeah. You, you can't get back in that headspace. Yeah. So it's a, it's an unfair exercise. Yeah, totally. Because you're ascribing what you now know. Yeah. Another Anne Lamont quote. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Forgiveness means it finally becomes unimportant that you hit back. You're done. It doesn't necessarily mean that you want to have lunch with the person. If you keep hitting back though, you stay trapped in the nightmare. Hey, wait a minute. Say that again. <laughs> Forgiveness means it finally becomes unimportant that you hit back. You're That's done. the best. I know. Okay. I have goosebumps. Me too. You're done. It doesn't necessarily mean that you want to have lunch with the person, but if you keep hitting back, you stay trapped in the nightmare. I love that. Part of really what's at the heart of this, I think, is the 
if you stay engaged in the, in the figuring it out and the ruminating and the self-blame and all that kind of stuff, you also get to stay connected to this person. Right. And you're trapped then, you know? Right. What, what do you think he should do with this relationship in his life? It's a loaded question, but. Wait, the letter writer? Yeah. Um, I don't know if the letter writer is a he or she. I'm just realizing it doesn't matter, but <laughs> I was confused. Yeah. Um, I mean, it depends. I think all manner of things could happen, right? Like, I think that you could talk to this person. And so I think the letter writer could could have a reckoning with this person, with this friend. Yeah. I think the letter writer could never speak to the friend again. I think the letter writer, like, I think anything in between um, is possible. If you feel an impulse to understand what happened, you can always circle back and have a conversation if that feels safe to you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think? I, I agree with you. I think, um, I think I, I would suggest that you pay really close attention to how any of those actions make you feel. Right. You know, if you get a yeah horrible pit in your stomach at the idea of never speaking to this person again or having a conversation with this person, mm-hmm. you know, respect that. Right. At this point, you have all the information that you have, yeah. you know, whether or not you need to dig deeper. Mm-hmm. Is that because you want to continue to ruminate or is that because right. you want to turn the page? Yeah. I mean, I think exactly what you just said, though, like, pay attention to how it feels in your body. Rumination does not feel like peace and opening a scab does not feel like peace. So find what feels like peace and do that and don't judge it. Right. Because that's always like the, the North star, you know? Right. If you can find peace in a situation like this in, then that's the way to go. Right. And, And stand in your, in your truth and be proud of yourself yeah. And what you've accomplished yeah. in light of your own abuse. Right. right, right. That doesn't change what you've done. No. How far you've come. Yeah. At all. Right. You know, if this is an epidemic, and I believe that it is. 100%, yeah. It's happening under everybody's noses. Yeah. And it doesn't change that you took what happened to you and decided to find meaning yeah. and uh, pursue a very noble path. Right. Right. Don't forget that. Yeah, totally. That's beautifully said a hundred percent. I'm for some reason thinking of like when, um, like the golden state killer, right. was just like a dude in a neighborhood. He was a cop. He was a cop. Like, yeah, he he was, he had all of the, I mean, complicated feelings about, you know, the law enforcement industrial complex aside, like we tend to assume that people who are in law enforcement are like upright citizens. And like they, you know, this guy owned, this is what you always hear on the news. He always mowed the lawn, right? Yeah. He was a nice guy. He waved when I picked up my package. Like we, the truth, the terrible truth of this is that we cannot see what lies underneath. Right. And that is not our fault. And it is terrifying. And we probably can't get better at that. And that's just a fact. You know, and do we want to get better at that? Right, right. I don't. I don't either. I don't either. But writing this letter and talking about this continues to shine light on this dark, dark subject. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. I mean, th- this is something we all need. I need to learn yeah. more and understand more about mm. because it is shocking. Yeah, it is. And the part of I think what you're missing in here when you're trying to figure out what 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 your friend's role was is that you all the healing work that you've done, you know, as Lisa said a minute ago, and don't lose sight of that because it's not lost. You may be feeling some of the same, um, you know, there's some triggers that probably got pushed. And so you might be feeling some of the same old grief and anxiety and terror and shame and all of that stuff, but that doesn't mean you didn't heal. Right. It's just right. And when, right. And when you're able to integrate this part of the story, you, you will become that much more powerful in your message. Right. 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 Okay. So what are the takeaways here? I'm struck by just the, the, the loss of this. And I think that I know that the, the guilt is what, um, you know, what the letter writer is, is leading with, but I think that 
there's a lot of grieving to do and finding meaning in that is really important. And so if you can, um, you know, really take some, some time in a non-judgmental way to kind of, um, integrate this relationship into the larger arc of your life, which it sounds like you're already doing. I think that will be, um, that will be helpful. The, um, and, and, and being aware of the fact that that's a, that's a very long process. Grieving can take a very long time. And that's, this has been a really important person to you. And I think turning towards some of these things with radical acceptance will maybe get your body to catch up to your cognition um, so that you can know on a body level that, um, that you're, you know, doing the right thing and that you, there's nothing you could have done. You know, I also think we haven't talked about this at all yet, but these things, you know, we talked about triggers a couple of episodes ago, this stuff, when, when you get, when you have to face something like this, which is, uh, you know, a remnant of a trauma that you've been through yourself, you, the, all that stuff is going to come back up and that's okay. Um, so what can you do to kind of address your own trauma again, um, if you need to, and then practice radical acceptance on a daily basis, um, with easier thoughts and then try to move on to this one as well. Yeah. Yeah. I like what you say about, um, allowing yourself the time to grieve. Yeah. Instead of blame. Right. You're still going to have feelings about this. Right. You know, lots of feelings. Right. But kind of shift the the lens a little bit. Right. Right. Stop beating yourself up so much for that. Right. For being right. human. Yeah. And again, like, so in that vein, like, I'm, I'm so sorry for your loss. There's not That's a damn thing you could have done. No. You know? No. And thank you for writing. It's important. It is important. It's important to talk about these things. Yep. As difficult as they are, it's important. Yep. It's not your damn fault. I know you already know that, but I just want to say it one more time. <laughs> yep. Okay. Okay. Tiny little joys because there's always light in the darkness. There is always light in the darkness. I Can okay. I just say I've been having a hard time with that? <laughs> Tiny little joys or light in the darkness? Light in the darkness. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's the, um, moment in, I don't know what, what sort of like constellation of things has kind of dropped me into hopelessness, but it's, it's been harder recently to find the light. And it's, I just want to say that because as someone who practices this and believes in it wholeheartedly and knows the brain science behind it, it's still sometimes hard. And that doesn't mean I'm failing or that something is deeply wrong. It's just sometimes harder, you know? Yeah. 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 It's not, it's not, it's not easy. It's not, um, it's not always apparent. No. And it's, it's okay sometimes to like, mm, I don't know what I want to call it. Like curl up in the darkness and just let it be, you know? Yeah. There was a shooting last night in Colorado in a goddamn grocery store. I know. Like I, I, I know you read the headline, the, the grocery store is a funny name, but it, you know, it was like, what, like, wh- what is this place? Why, why, mm-hmm. why does this like keep it's dire. It feels dire. Mm-hmm. You know, it is dire. We are deeply un- dysregulated as a country and it is coming out in violent symptom. Yep. And that's when it's really scary. Mm-hmm. And I think it's to have the darkness, you know, I remember thinking like when the, um, when the shooting happened in the movie theater, which was, which was like years ago. Um, yeah. I remember thinking like, Oh my God. Like even just knowing that could be a possibility ruins the, like, this is going to sound silly, but the, like the sacred safe space of a movie theater, you know, right. Like, the, the grocery store is one of the last things. This is one of the only places we can go right now. Right. And now you have to worry about that, you know, like being a teacher and having to go through active shooter, you know, trainings and things like that. Like that changes teaching. It changes the classroom. It changed forever, you know, yeah. and every time this stuff happens, it changes another, another aspect of life. Right. It's, we need to do better. It's, it's terrifying. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to acknowledge that too, that it, that it's, it is, it is hard to find the light when you're constantly bombarded with mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Cause it doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. And it's, it's seem, it's just keeps getting worse. It seems, you know, mm-hmm. 
at what point are we going to recognize on a national level that this is a problem that we need to address? Right. Mental health, gun control, all the right. things. Right. And if you are tempted to stop listening because I just said that, feel free. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> all right. Tiny little choice. Um, I have one. So we live near these two uh, lakes. There's an upper lake and a lower lake where um, I often take Sadie on walks. And I think it's five miles to do the whole loop around both. I don't do that, but (laughs) just to give you some perspective, it's five miles. And I see this old couple walking in all kinds of weather and muck and snow and shit and they are not, I mean, I would guess they're in their eighties Wow. and they're often holding hands uh-huh. and they're moving at a clip. They're not, you know, they're not dilly dallying. They're, they're, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're moving. And, um, when I used to see older couples like that, it would make me sad because I would think of mom and dad and how they didn't get to do that. Yeah. And recently in spotting this, this call, this couple walking, um, I think they are doing that and Mm -hmm. mom and dad are doing that Mm -hmm. on some level. And it brings me joy. And today I saw them like far away. Like it was, you know, it was not in my little like loop that I do. It was way, you know, at least, you know, miles up the road. And I thought, oh my goodness, they're like covering ground. So it's not that they're just walking where I see them. They're this is their routine. They do it every day and um, it's beautiful and it makes me happy. Oh, that's so sweet. I love that. Yeah. I was going to take a picture, but I didn't want to invade anyone's privacy. So I did that a long time ago at Tanglewood because there was this old couple and they were sitting and there was this tree on the grounds of Tanglewood that like the trunk split and made a perfect like little bench. Oh, nice. And so they were both sitting, they were sitting in the, in a bench and they were eating um, ice cream. Like, <laughs> Cute. Little, like, what do you call those? Cones. No, like a, like a, <laughs> like a popsicle, but an ice cream popsicle is there. <laughs> like a, like, what's, what's it called? A hootsie pop or a toasted yeah. almond? Remember <laughs> toasted almonds? Those are good. <laughs> good humor bars. Eskimo pies. What are they? <laughs> toasted almond is like the best thing that ever happened. I know. I want one right now. <laughs> Do they still sell them? <laughs> are they gluten-free? I need one. <laughs> what was that hogging does? I have to go find out. <laughs> oh, it was good humor, I think. Good humor. <laughs> I'll look it up. He's simultaneously having a stroke. Like, what is happening? <laughs> oh my god! You know, like an ice cream, whatever the hell. I don't know. But anyway, the point was they were, you know, they were in their eighties and they were just like hanging out at Tanglewood and eating ice cream in this tree. And I took a picture of them because I thought it was like such a cool aspirational thing, you know? Yeah. To have that kind of, yeah. To get to that place. Right. Right. Yep. <laughs> Did you look that? No, it's not like loading, of course. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's just, it's so funny. Toasted almond ice cream thing. Um, I love that. I love that. It's so funny that you say that. Cause I was reading this Oprah magazine this morning and uh, which is months old, but I hadn't read it. And it was just like kicking around my apartment and it's about mourning. And one of the little, there was like a little article about um, this woman who went to see a medium. She went to see a long Island medium. Cause she was just like, I don't know. I kind of want to get over to the other side. I don't, this is ridiculous, but whatever. And the, one of the things that she said was that your parents are standing together, like holding hands. Oh, and I was thinking of mom and dad and just that's so random yeah there it is good humor okay here i'll show you the picture we can post it but oh. it looks like it has something in the middle which i don't remember that part what what now i need to find out what that is too <laughs> <laughs> uh, they sell them at walmart okay okay i think hagen made one too yeah i'm sure that was better um, that's another time we have like three this time. So we have toasted almond bars and <laughs> the old people on their walk. And right. Then, okay. So mine is, um, 
I, like I said, I've been having like trouble for some reason finding them. And this morning I was like, God damn it. I don't have any tiny little joys. And then you get mad at yourself about that. And like, that's off to a spiral. And it's like, oh, great. Now I'm being mean to myself. I am not good at this. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was, I was walking and listening. I'm listening to Anne Lamott's new book, Dusk, Night, Dawn. Okay. Um, which is probably obvious because I would talk about her every 10 seconds. Um, and it's read in her, she's reading it. Oh, I love that. I know. Um, and it's, it's about this, like, it's about this exact thing that the, that I started this morning, just kind of, I love her as a writer. And so I wanted to, to read it. And I started it this morning, right after I was having this moment of like, I can't find any tiny little joys. And the introduction is about her not being able to find any tiny little joys. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. Wow. And read in her like beautiful little voice and you feel like she's hanging out with you while you're walking. And it's just, it was exactly what I needed at the exact right moment. And like, of course it was right. You know, right. like that always happens. Um, Delivered to you. Right. Exactly. Just in yeah. this. Um, yeah. It's called dusk night dawn. And it, yeah, that's what it's about. It's about trying to find hope in this, in this current situation, in the environmental crisis, in, you know, in, in all sorts of things. So it was perfect. That's great. Yeah. We also just got an email that we are, um, we are rating very well in Ireland in the category of mental health and Hong Kong, our podcast. Oh, I was going to say Ireland is our, that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) There are people. Hello. (laughs) We, our mother's maiden name is Murphy. We come from County Cork and that's all I know. Yeah. About that. I'd, I'd love to go someday. I know. Totally. Okay. I think that's all. Um, keep writing us at the trauma tapes at gmail.com. Write us. Um, we so appreciate your letters. I'm always so like humbled by the fact that people trust us with these things, you know, I know with their beautiful stories. Yeah. So please yeah. Keep writing. We are always excited when we see them. Um, and we're on Instagram at the trauma tapes and we have a website, the trauma tapes.com. I think. Um, and that's all. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thanks.